If you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark 6, we see an encounter here with people and Jesus. And I guess before we even um, really get into this, I, I want us uh, to look at some things. I, I asked the question today, um, you know, uh, are you a critic? Are you a, a critic of things around you? And most of the times, the critics that I see, the ones that I meet that are very critical about everything that goes on around them are those that are very insecure within themselves. It's those that uh, don't necessarily want to listen and hear. Uh, it's those that are unteachable. And we talk about the sovereignty of God, and, and we know that nobody can come to Christ unless uh, Christ calls to them. And so you may say, well, why is it that we do what we do then, if it's just up to God to call them? Because we sow those seeds, and we never know the moment when God may call somebody, when God may open their eyes or open their ears to hear the truth. We spoke last week on Father's Day a little bit about, um, you know, how that young boy said, at 14, I thought my father was the most ignorant thing, and that by the time I was 21, I was amazed how much he had learned in seven years. Something had changed in that boy. It hadn't changed in his father. And still, uh, today, as, as we get older, it's, it's nice to hear our children once in a while say, you know those things that you used to teach us that we thought were so harsh or so foolish or so dumb? Uh, I understand now. And so we keep speaking the truth. We keep doing that. But understand this, that that there are people that want to be heard, but they don't want to hear. There are people that want to, you know, talk and don't want to listen. And there are those that have such preconceived notions of everything in life that um, they're not really open to even hearing what God says. And um, I have a message I'm probably going to do in a few weeks down the road here about how sometimes we even have been taught things in Scripture and we hold those things as being absolutes, okay? So maybe the background of the stories. We know the Word of God is, is accurate and, and right and all of that it says. But some of our interpretations, and so when we read it, we don't read it with fresh eyes. We don't read it looking to see what God is saying or listening for what God may be speaking to us. And so therefore we can miss the message. And so it is in life and so it is with relationships. We speak the truth to people but sometimes people just don't get it. They go about their life. They continue to uh, play the game of, of life. And they think that everything is being um, made okay. But they're not really hearing what God has to say. And so when we come to this point where, where Jesus is today, um, he's really going to be dealing with some critics. And those are them in his own hometown, his own, as he says a little bit later, even in his family and uh, his relatives. And so sometimes, you know, in our house, it's even hard to speak the truth sometimes because of a variety of things. You know, sometimes, um, you know, well, I shouldn't say sometimes. I deal in the prison. So I deal with, you know, we have 1,500, 1,600 men in there who have violated... Um, trust on many levels to their families and to their friends. And when they come to prison, they start working on things and they begin to uh, 
uh, maybe get it right, some of them anyways, and they don't understand why, why the wife isn't all forgiving. They don't understand why the kids still aren't all on board with coming to visit them. They, they don't understand, you know, they, they want everything just like their past washed away, as the Bible says Jesus does with our sins. They want life to be that way. But unfortunately, life's not that way because when we have burned bridges, when we have violated trust, it takes time. And sometimes a lot of time, and sometimes that may never even happen again. So it's the importance of really our walk and our testimony in life to um, do the things that God has called us to do, but more importantly, to listen to what God is saying and to follow what God is saying and to live what God is saying. So we have these things that go on in our life. And so um, when we look at this today, I want to ask you this question, you know, are you... um, critical of others, especially those that are closest to you. Because that's sort of the, the uh, emphasis that I think Jesus is saying when he says, you know, a prophet is without honor except in his own, uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own family. So we can look at this and say this, that familiarity breeds contempt sometimes. The more we get to know people, the more we just sort of take them for granted or we don't listen to them uh, quite the way that we should. And I think that that's one of the things that Jesus was saying here. But I want to apply this, and not that we are prophets, but we are living within a family, we are living within a community, and sometimes we can be the harshest and the most critical of those that are closest to us. Um, They're often the most, uh, the people that we rub shoulders with Uh, the most often, are the ones that we become most critical of. And so when we look at critical spirits, I want us to look at a few things, uh, maybe a few attributes of it to help you recognize if if you maybe have this uh, critical spirit. One is finding fault instead of finding good. Another one, I think, is gossip. I think gossip is one of the most damaging and most uh, critical things that can happen, but it's, it's, our, it's in our nature. We tend to get together. We want to talk about other people, uh, and we're usually not talking about the good things of them. We're talking about the bad things of them. Uh, we can even listen sometimes to um, wives when we counsel, how they um, put down their husbands and how husbands can put down their wives, how friends can put down other friends. And we very seldom hear the positive sides of things. And so that's part of a critical spirit. And so I want you to maybe check your spirit today and, and maybe be in prayer about that. Am I one of these people that are, are doing these things, that are gossiping, that are talking bad about others, that are sometimes even talking about things we, we don't even fully know? And that's one of the things, you know, I've sort of learned in my life that sometimes I get opinions about things or have thoughts about things. But until we know the full story, it's really hard to make a conclusion about that. And even when we do make a conclusion about that, is that something that needs to be spoken about with others? Or are we to talk to the individuals about it? So are you critical towards others? You know, it would have been customary, as we look at Jesus here, to go to the synagogue every week and to read during the Sabbath. I mean, that would have been something that that he would have done. Um, but his hometown folks here, um, they, they listened really with sort of a, a captive attention. They wanted to see this uh, 
hometown prodigal that had gathered such a, a following, I believe, um, because they had heard about the miracles he had performed in these other towns. And I think that as we read this, we can maybe sort of reverence that they were looking to say, hey, you know, what kind of sign would he do in his hometown? Would this be something really spectacular? Again, if we, if we relate this to worldly things, sometimes we'll see performers, you know, that give concerts or do lectures, but when they come to their hometown, it's like, well, we're going to do a little bit extra there. And I think the people were looking to Jesus to do that. What is it that he was going to do that was so miraculous? What was it that he was going to do that would be so great? And so Jesus really startled them, I think, uh, with, with sort of a, a rebuke as he begins into this thing by saying a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. That's sort of a rebuke to them. He's, he's not saying, hey, you know, it's good to be home. I'm glad you all came here. You know, watch what I'm going to do. But he started out with this little bit of a, a rebuke um, that, that no prophet can really receive honor uh, in his own hometown. And I think that this is, is true for, on a lot of levels, even in the world today, if we even put it into a secular motion, that when we're raised in a town, people know us. They, they know our ups and our downs. That's why sometimes I think in families why they get so critical is, you know, my wife knows all my good points, but she also knows my worst points. Okay, she knows everything about me. And, and towns sometimes, you know, as we were growing up as a child, we know that somebody might say, well, aren't you so-and-so's boy? And oh man, yeah. Or they'll say, like, the nut didn't fall far from the tree type thing, you know. So we see you're following in your father's footsteps. And so he sort of makes this comment, and uh, the people of Nazareth really took offense at him for, for speaking this truth. And that's something that happens in the world today. And I want to even tell you as a Christian, when you speak the truth to people, sometimes they're going to be offended by it. And so that's why the Bible tells us so clearly that we need to speak the truth in love. People need to know that we care about them and that's why we are sharing what we are sharing. Uh, but they took offense at him and they refused to listen to, to what he had to say. And that's where we come into play because we could be that audience. That when we read the scripture and we read the scripture and it tells us how to live and it tells us the things that we ought to be doing, we can take offense to that. We don't want to hear that, you know, because I'm comfortable in my life. I'm comfortable doing the things that I want to do, you know, and, and I can justify all the things in my life that I want to do. I can find reasons and, and whatever for everything that I want to do, but I can't argue with the word of God, so I don't read the Bible. I don't go to prayer because the Lord may convict me in my heart. You know, a lot of us say, well, we want accountability partners. I'm, I'm so blessed that I have uh, a couple good accountability partners in my life, and they are not afraid to tell me anything. I mean, sometimes they call me up, and honestly, sometimes I can get a little irritated with them because it's like, oh, man, come on, give me a break. But they're my accountability partner, and they're telling me something. And so we've made this commitment that we're going to listen to one another when we do that, when we come together we listen, and sometimes, you know, some of you know, Bill Budzinski is one of them, you know, we'll be talking about things, and I'll get into maybe a justification, or I'll get into changing the subject a little bit, and he'll ask me this question, are you listening to me? And it, it, it puts a stop to me, and it's like, okay, yes, i got to listen to you. God does the same thing in our life. As he's speaking to us through his word, and through prayer, and through devotions, and through maybe other Christian brothers and sisters in our life, God is asking us continually, are you listening to me? Not just hearing me, 
You know, we can hear things. We can hear noise. Listening means I'm paying attention to, I am tuned in to what it is that you are saying. Well, these people in Nazareth, they had made a decision. to They were listening, but they weren't hearing what Jesus had to say. And they despised his preaching because he was just a common workman. And, and we really can get this, if you know some of the Jewish history, uh, we can get this just from the things that they're saying. Um, and, and Jesus really says, I can't do these works because you're disbelieving. You know, it's not unbelieving, it's disbelieving. They, they were choosing not to believe what he said. And so if people had come together, you know, anywhere in this world today, and we've seen this over this last year with the, the terrible things that have gone on, but if people come together to, to judge, or if they come together to hate, or if they come together to uh, refuse to understand, they're going to see no other point of view except theirs. And they're going to refuse to love and accept others. And so have you found yourself in that situation where, where you are going to see no other point of view except yours? Sometimes it's like those, those Amish horses with the blinders, you know. They, they can see what's just right there, but they can't see what's off to the side. And I really believe part of spiritual growth is this, is that, that we look at all things. When we work with people, we need to try to understand from their point of view. It doesn't mean that their point of view is right. It doesn't mean that, that you know, when, when we try to, to see from their side or put ourselves in their shoes, it doesn't mean that we're accepting that, but it means to look at things from their point of view. Are we willing to do those things? And a lot of times... I think we're not. We, we get so tunnel visioned on uh, what we think is right and wrong. And raising children is one of those things. You know, we know it's right. We know it's wrong. We have the laws of the house, you know. And, and we just sort of hold those fences tight. And sometimes kids will want to try to explain something or this and that. And, and I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Well, that's what Nazareth has done to Jesus here. They said that they don't want to hear it. They didn't. They wanted to refuse to hear and accept anything that he was going to say. And, uh, you know, we know throughout the whole gospel message here that Jesus came to, to set the people free from this worst uh, tyranny that, that there can be in this world. The tyranny of slavery to sin. The, this tyranny or this bondage to uh, the fear of death and the destruction of the body and the soul. It's what people wrestle with their whole life. And Jesus came to set everybody free from that. And so really what he's going to share here is the gospel is this good news for us today. To know the joy and the freedom that is found only in Jesus Christ. That's what we try to share with people, but people don't get it. And there's even Christians that I will say have, have said a prayer or maybe uh, put their trust in Jesus, but they still don't get it, the freedom that is found in Christ. They're still hanging on to all these other vices. They're hanging on to all these other things in the world that they think are going to make them happy. You know, we all get this sort of checklist. Well, if I could do this, if I could do this, if I could have this, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be happy. But the Bible says that, isn't it? It says joy is only found in Jesus Christ. And so as we start this, Jesus' countrymen, they're offended at him. It says, then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. So Jesus had his entourage with him, his disciples, these students of his that were following him. 
And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. So that was something that Jesus was regularly doing at this point of his ministry. He was teaching in the synagogues. And he began to teach in the synagogue. And as many hearing him were astonished, they were astonished. Wow. How does this guy have, have all this wisdom, as it's going to say? And what wisdom is this which he has given to him? And such mighty works are performed by his hands. They didn't understand. They said, this man is speaking with wisdom. He's doing these mighty works. We, we've heard all these things. His, his, um, his testimony has preceded him. It was throughout all the land. They knew all these things that were going on. But then they state this, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? And are his sisters here not with us also? And it says, and they were offended at him. They were offended at the, pre, the presence of Jesus. So is this not a carpenter? And this isn't really a, a compliment. You know, today we might say if somebody's a carpenter, my good friend Billy, he's a carpenter. Um, but the word carpenter really has a much broader sense than just, than, than just somebody that drives nails. It's one who works with wood. It has the idea of a builder. He learned this trait uh, from his earthly father. So we know that he was a carpenter, but it wasn't really meant a, as a good thing, even though I think it was, because uh, one of the things that, as I've studied through this, that uh, I've, uh, Jesus learned as being a carpenter uh, was this. First, that he learned that there was a lot of potential in a log. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know if there's any woodworkers out here, but some people can cut down a tree and then, well, we got a tree down on the, on the ground. We got maybe firewood. But an artist can see something else. Well, there's a block of wood. I got these basswood, they tell me, are, are sort of worthless for firewood and whatever on, on some of our land. But one guy said, if you cut that down and you put that into blocks, he says, there's carvers that will buy that. And so they see the potential in a log. He learned that there's a lot of potential in a log. When we cut down that log, and you know, if we say, well, it's not firewood, what else can it be? It can be two by fours, two by sixes. It can be veneer. It can be all sorts of things. It can be whatever the artist or whatever the person with the vision can make it to be. Secondly, he learned that it takes work and time to make something usable. You know? A carpenter was a maker, and we don't have a lot of makers today in the world. I mean, everything's sort of automated. Even in the old days, uh, 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 when a man and a woman get, would get married, they would call the wife, what? A home maker. And we say, oh yeah, she gets to sit home all day, and I go off to her. No, a homemaker especially in the olden days, and I wouldn't say it's maybe a whole lot different today, but it, it was something that took work and time to do something right. I mean, when I talk to uh, my mothers, my grandmothers, I, they used to have a laundry day. They'd have an ironing day. They'd have, you know, a baking day. I mean, all day long they were doing these things that were there. Besides, they were tending the children. You go back far enough, a lot of them were teaching their own children. They were making a home out of a house. Today we don't have a lot of makers. We have a lot of homes. We have a lot of things. But we don't have a lot of makers. As men, men used to have to um, manufacture things. If something broke on the farm, how am I going to fix this? They had to improvise. They had to do something. Now you know we can go on Amazon. We can have it in two days, right? We can get whatever we want. 
Somebody asked something, oh, let me look it on Amazon, see if I can find, oh yeah, we can have it here by Tuesday. You know, but in the old days, they would tear apart something else and make something new to make something. They learned that it takes work and time to make something usable. Well, Jesus would have learned that as a carpenter. And he definitely knows that spiritually in our lives. When we work with other people, we can look at them in a way, in a sense, as a log. We can't just say this is just a human blob that's here. No, this is a person that God has created in their image. God loves this person. There's potential in that person. And then we got to say this, and this is part of making the discipleship out of the end of Matthew, it says go and make disciples, is that it's going to take work and time to make something usable. It takes work and time for God to make us even usable. Sometimes we think, well, we're just going to go and we're going to say this prayer. I'm saved. I'm delivered from sin. I feel different. But I still have struggles in my life. God says it's going to take work and time to make something usable. And so when we deal with people, we also pull alongside of them and help them to be what God intended them to be, helping them to walk in their life. He also learned that the finest things are made from the hardest wood. You know, there's something about that. People like oak, right? I talked about basswood. Basswood's good for those little airplanes that we flew as kids. But you know, as soon as they crashed once or twice, what, the wing was broke, right? But if you got something out of oak, or if you got something out of maple, or if you got something out of walnut, they say that's quality. That's quality wood. And so Jesus learned that the finest things are made from the hardest wood. Well, I like to look at it this way. Some people are very hard in their life, right? They had that rough exterior. Some people used to look at me when I was young, and they would say, that, that guy is never coming to Christ. That kid is never going to change. When I was just a little kid, they figured, this is just one of my running jokes, they always said, he's going to end up in prison someday. Well, it <laughs> happened for 37 years. I've been on the good side of it, though I could have been on the bad side of it very easily. But I was, I was a knucklehead. I was a hard person. There wasn't much that was going to affect me or move me. But sometimes the finest things are made from the hardest wood. Mm-hmm. And so in people's lives, you know, those that we think are so hard, so rough, that they, that they can't be moved and they can't be changed, God can sometimes do just miraculous things with them. So they called him this carpenter, and that was just sort of like a a lowly tradesman is is sort of what they were saying to Jesus. And then they addressed him, son of Mary. This is not the son of Mary. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? That was actually sort of a disparaging comment um, for a person. Because in biblical times and in Jewish tradition, you would be identified with your father. So, you know, the the proper thing or the, the... complimentary thing would have been is this not Jesus the son of Joseph but they said the son of Mary they meant that as a disparaging a thought of him and so it was contrary to, to really de- describe a son uh, attached to his mother again they would have done that as, as a father and even if she was a widow it was really uh, an insult so you could tell that they were offended just by the tone of the language that was happening there And there was probably even rumors at that time that Jesus was illegitimate, right? Because we know uh, the whole birth story of Jesus, right? Conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And even though she had brothers and sisters, uh, he had brothers and sisters, the thought was, oh yeah, but but she was, you know, unfaithful beforehand. So they, 
there was probably rumors going around that Jesus was, um, you know, illegitimate. And so there was another reason why, how can this guy be speaking the word of God? How can this guy be doing these marvelous things? He's just a common man from a common family and, you know, probably even born out of, out of uh, uh, conceived out of wedlock anyway. So, um, but Jesus' reaction is, is pretty amazing. So when they make all these statements, he says to them, a prophet is uh, not without honor except in his own country, his own relatives, and in his own house. Um, Jesus said to them, you know, really, this is something that is a true fact. And it's something I believe that's a true fact today. He goes on to say, Now he could do no mighty works there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Jesus really accepted his rejection as part of the price. You know, in our life we understand that there, there's a price to be paid. And, and sometimes these things just happen over time. They just happen uh, as it goes, you know, through life. Sometimes in our, in our life, we need to look at this. We've sort of paved a path our whole life to where we are today. And we can't complain because people know that past. We can't complain because people may even judge us somewhat on that past. You know, we may say it's not fair, and maybe it's not fair. I always say I try not to judge of people by their past, but we've paved that past. So it's, it's like the person that builds a shoddy house. You build that shoddy house and you start having problems. You have nobody to really blame except yourself. Except now Jesus comes in and he makes us new. So we know that, right? We know that. And so how do we convince everybody else? Well, that's what he says. Is Jesus has come in and he's given us a new heart. He's given us a new way. The things of old are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Our life has changed. And again, this is one of those things that takes time. But listen, if you keep building shoddy, even after you know Christ, people aren't going to see Christ for who he needs to be. So Jesus accepted his, his rejection as, as part of the praise, not that Jesus had anything wrong with him. But it, it must have really hurt him, I think, to go back to his hometown and to be rejected by his friends in his neighbors. You know, there's something about going home, being with your friends and relatives and neighbors and that, and, and to have been embraced and to have been accepted probably would have been a wonderful thing. But Jesus wasn't here just to make friends. He wasn't here, you know, just to make everybody happy. He was here to bring salvation to the world. But he tells him, he says, that he could do no mighty work. So, in a climate of unbelief, okay, in a climate of unbelief, you know, um, there's, there's a sense that, that this power of Jesus, and his power was never really limited, but it was limited by the unbelief of his countrymen. Now, I always like to clarify this because there are some uh, prosperity churches that talk about, well, you know, if you believe enough, you know, you're going to be healed. If you believe enough, you're going to have money. If you believe enough, you're going to have all these things. We're not talking prosperity Gospels here, we're talking about belief in who Christ is. Belief in who Christ, what Christ could do for you. They didn't believe him to be who he claimed to be. So that's the unbelief. And that's a little bit different than, than no belief. 
You know, sometimes people just don't know what to believe. I believe God can really work with that in a person. But unbelief, knowing who he claims to be, I've read the Bible, I've heard the sermons, I've, 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 I've you know, done the analysis, and I choose not to believe him. And so that's where he says, now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. So there were some people there uh, that he could reach out to, either people with no belief or people that um, maybe believed in him. Uh, but he reached out to them and, and he touched them. And it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He couldn't understand why they couldn't believe. You know, when I go back and, and I review my life, I can see God's hand in so many places. I can see God's hand, you know, not even before I knew him, even, you know, after I knew him, but I didn't give him credit for things. I can just see, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I can see God's hand in there. And we say, well, how could you not believe after what God has done? But people still didn't believe. Some of the New Testament people said, well, you know, if, if we would have seen the, the things of, of the Old Testament, you know, like you and I, if we were to go out to Lake Eau Claire and he just parted that water and I could walk through on dry land, well, of course I'd believe. Jesus says, no, you wouldn't. Because we have set it in our heart not to believe. We have set it in our heart sometimes not to change, not to listen, not to hear what God has to say. And we know in the New Testament he has written those laws on our heart as part of his new covenant. We know what is right and what is wrong, but we choose not to believe that. And so we see in the world today an atheistic society that, that will put it off to all sorts of things, to conscience, to this, to that. Um, but the, he had this terrible um, uh, atmosphere of unbelief. And so he said, I'm not going to do this. And it was really into his partnership with man. You know, Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. I have come to pay for the remission of sins. I have come to give my life as a ransom for your sins. And you know, today some people still can't believe that. And some people just choose not to believe that. Some people have troubles just accepting that free gift in their life. That Jesus has done something without requirements other than believing that he is who he said he is. And so they choose not to believe it. There are those that are, are uh, uh, try to be spiritual intellectuals that say it just doesn't make sense. How can one person dying on the cross, how can that pay for my sins? How can a dead person raise from the grave? How can a, uh, somebody be conceived by the Holy Ghost? But I'm here to say that God may work with no belief, but he will not work with unbelief. If you're sitting here today, and, and most of you have sat here many times, you know what God's word says. And if you're choosing not to believe him in those things, he's not going to be working in your life in those areas. Because you're choosing not to believe him. God wants us to believe in him. Jesus wants us to believe in him. Because Jesus knew that he could not wow them. He couldn't just wow them with some big factor. That's what we think. Oh, you know, if he just parted the sea... Wow, now we have to believe. Sometimes we throw those things out there, I call them barter chips with God. We sort of play poker with them and say, well, you know, God, if you do this in my life, then I know that you're real. Really? But we do that. Christians still do that today. 
God, if you do this, I'll follow you. I, I had a man at prison. I'll just show you. And, I mean, he's got other issues uh, besides being in prison. But he prayed and prayed and prayed for a piano. He wanted a, a they get these little pianos. And he didn't get one. And just, just, just to let you know, this man had, uh, I think he had committed 32 felonies within a period of about a day and a half. And, you know, he wondered why his family didn't keep in touch with him. And, and he has some mental issues too. But he prayed and prayed for this piano and for, for years. He says, I prayed for this piano for two years. He says, God's not answering my prayers. I'm done with church. And he didn't come to chapel for, for quite a long time. Well, he kept petitioning people out in the community, you know, would you help me buy a piano, buy a piano. Finally, somebody helped him buy a piano, and he got his piano, he's back in church. Those are bartering chips with God. We don't do that with God. God will give us what we need when we need it, or he'll keep it from us if we don't need it. So Jesus knew that he couldn't wow him, but this guy's testimony was back, and he says, I prayed to God, and you know, sometimes you need to get tough on these things. So I'm thinking, you're going to get tough with God? Okay, that's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong ways that we approach things. But his thing was, if you do this, God, then I will. Don't ever get in a position like that with God. Because we don't want to be in that position. We want to be in the position that Jesus was when he went to the Father and said, you know, Lord, this is what I like, but not my will, but your will be done. And I will continue to walk and I will continue to be obedient to you. I just want to turn over to uh, uh, just talking about faith because part of this is faith. And again, in, in uh, Sunday school this morning, we were talking about um, faith and faith, hope, and love. And it was, it was really interesting. And, and John linked that together. Good for me, in my mind anyways. In 1 Corinthians 13 at the end, he says, now we have faith, hope, and love. Well, he brought through some and in uh, Hebrews 10, where it talks about faith and hope and love in Christ, well, it's sort of here too. When we think about our faith in uh, Luke 7, uh, the first 10 verses, we have that, that story of the centurion. It says, And now when he concluded that his sayings on, in the hearings of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And so when he heard that Jesus... Uh, was coming, he sent out the elders to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, he begged him earnestly, saying, that one for whom uh, he should do this is deserving. I like this. These people come and say, this man is deserving, Lord of your grace. None of us are deserving of God's grace. That was a, sort of an interesting thing in here. But Jesus went. He says, for he loves his nation and he built the synagogue. We talk about works. But we're saved not by works but through faith. When Jesus went with them, then he was already not far from the house, and the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should even enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word that my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do, and this one does. It says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And so here is a, a, a non-Jew that was expressing this faith. See, God can work 
with no belief, but not unbelief. And it was by faith that this man came and shared these things. Jesus marveled at Jewish unbelief, but he also marveled that the Gentiles could have faith. So we come to Christ in faith. Would Jesus marvel at your faith today, or would he marvel at your unbelief? Are you following him? Are you obedient to him? Since he went about the villages in a circuit teaching, Jesus did not let the rejection by these countrymen, by these families, by these others in his life uh, deter him from his teaching ministry. He continued on. Sometimes we get a little offended, sometimes we get a little hurt, and, and we let that stop us from doing what Christ has called us to do. Jesus got on with the business of teaching and ministry. So how about you? Where do you fall into this story? Are you a critic? Are you a critic of others, or are you a, a coach of others? Do you walk in faith, or do you walk in unbelief? Do you trust God to do for you what he has promised to do, to lead you through these things? Or do you continually want to take things into your own hand? Jesus has called us to have a submissive spirit to him, to follow in his ways wherever he leads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning you have given us. And Lord, we just pray for each one here, Lord. Even as believers, Lord, we walk sometimes in unbelief. Father, there is a prayer in the New Testament that said, increase our faith. Lord, you have given us each a measure of faith. And really, when it comes down to it, it says, if we even had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could do great things. But Father, we fail, and we fail quite often. And so, Lord, increase our determination, Lord, because I don't always think it's a faith issue with us, but I believe it's a preference issue with us. That we choose to walk the way that we walk and do the things that we do. Help us to have a submissive spirit to you and to your word. Help us to walk in your ways and to be example to those around us. Help us not to be sidetracked to the left or to the right, but to follow you always. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.